Fellas, say goodbye to Chuck Sherman the boy. I am now a man. I highly recommend you join the club. We are doing the wild thing all night. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Sherman. Sherman, I could build this food. Is that all you gonna eat? General Sherman realized and understood the importance of house music. So, do you know anything about techno? No. Listen. Get it on. Yo, yo, what's good, everyone? And welcome back to another brand new episode of Sherman the Booth. I'm, of course, your host, Sherman. Today is Wednesday, December 8th, 2021, and this is episode 188, and I am so excited to share this interview with you all. Episode 188 features the amazing DJ, producer, and journalist, Alex Amaro. Alex is an extremely interesting guy who's very well-versed in multiple layers of the industry, and he's been in the game for over 20 years. This was such a fun interview, and I know you all enjoy it just as much as I did. In episode 188, we got it all in and started by talking about his journey into dance music. Born and raised in the Bay Area of California, Alex has always had a passion for music. Growing up, he was in a boys' choir that went around the world and actually sang for the Pope. I mean, what? Eventually, he went to his first rave in 1999 and he fell in love with electronic music. Since then, he's committed his life to the dance music community in so many ways and continues to make a profound impact on both sides of the industry. We also had a great conversation about Alex's experience in dance music journalism. In the 2000s, Alex was given an opportunity to write for a blog run by the one and only Danny Deal. He was hooked and discovered a new way to share his thoughts on dance music, current events, music, and so much more. He's published articles for Insomniac, DJ Tech Tools, Roland, Festival Insider, and is currently on the staff for Gray Area. I loved hearing how passionate Alex is about his work, and it's amazing to see all the success he's having. Now, of course, we talked about the Alex Amaro discography. Alex is a very talented producer, and he recently branched away from his breakbeat project called Psychosis to refocus his time towards house music. His current project, Alex Amaro, combines a fantastic fusion of multiple genres that leaves listeners always wanting more. With releases like Make You Sweat via ODFM Records, Rise via Night Engine, and Digits via Broken Fire, there's no denying that the future looks very bright for Alex in this new direction he's taking. This was easily one of the most fluid conversations I've had on this show, and it's no surprise. Alex and I both share so many of the same passions and interests, and we genuinely love this community that has given back so much to us. I learned so much from Alex during this interview, and I know you guys will enjoy this conversation as much as we did. Alex, thanks so much for making the time to come on the show, and I can't wait to hang out with you in person one day very soon. Let's get into it right now so you guys can hear a story for yourselves. This is episode 188 featuring Alex Amaro. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to a special interview with my man, Alex Amaro. This is Sherman the Booth. I think this is episode 188. It's a pleasure to have you on, my man, this deep in the game. Thank you so much for making the time. Oh, thank you so much for having me, man. I really, really appreciate it. Man, 188 episodes? That is, you are swimming in it, man. Dude, I'm Congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah. I just feel like I got to like episode 70 and I was like, all right, I'm flying. 100's coming. Did episode 100, and then all of a sudden it was 150, and now all of a sudden it's 188, and I'm 12 away from 200, and it's just been wild. It's I feel lucky because I found my true passion in life, which is literally talking to people, like I said earlier, about what they're passionate about, yeah. and it's just it's so special, and it's great connecting with people like you all over the world, 
I think that's been one of the great things for the podcast too. I usually was doing it before I started, decided to do them a row in person with people in Chicago, right? There's so many yeah. people here that are talented, but oh yeah, for sure. I think I inter- I think I've interviewed every single open format and house and tech house DJ <laughs> in Chicago. <laughs> it's so funny when I go to a show. Not saying I'm like a celebrity, but it's like it, I like know every single DJ that's there because that's so much of the scene, right? It's like actual right. DJs and producers, and it's just it's so fun, man. Every time I think about leaving Chicago, I'm like, nah, this is this is my city. I've been building my name here, so been a special Chicago's process. beautiful city too there's you know if you're already entrenched in the scene there's no reason to leave i mean yeah. i couldn't do it I, it's i don't i don't do cold <laughs> y'all got torrential winters but yeah i don't i know it yeah Chicago know. in the summer is a beautiful thing thanks alex yeah i appreciate the reminder there <laughs> <laughs> we're stubborn about it man we're stubborn about it i saw this hilarious quote uh, from like this famous Chicagoan. And he said, I love everything about Chicago except January and February. And you could say that to anybody of Chicago, no matter how stubborn they are. And they would say, I completely agree. Thank you. For that. Yeah, I'm cool, man. <laughs> I'm cool. You went to ARC though, uh, Labor Day weekend, right? Yeah, that was actually, that was my first time in Chicago. No uh, way. What a special, yeah. special uh, weekend for you then. It was, it was absolutely amazing. Got to hang out with some good friends. Mm-hmm. Um, got to enjoy like some of the the best music on the planet and that lineup that lineup was incredible the Elro tent was popping off like yeah. the whole time and I gotta say like for a first time festival mm-hmm. the production the sounds the way it was set up everything was really really well done I mean I know the festival organizers have been in the game for a really long time yeah but no matter what anytime you go out there and you do something for the very first time there's just so many so many externalities, so many factors that could like hinder yeah. you or things that you may not have thought of. And yeah, they just did the damn thing. I was really impressed. Like, I can't wait for, I can't wait for next year. I know they're expanding to three days mm-hmm. and like big ups to them for getting all those mixes on Apple music too. It like, was so sick. Yeah. Like Campbell Fats, the uh, Sunday, Sunday afternoon set at sunset um, was probably like one of the finest moments of my, of, of me being a raver slash, slash house music fan like watching they played the they had the perfect music for a sunday sunday afternoon sunset like Mm -hmm. just like it was beautiful and like getting to like relive that like once a week on apple music has been fucking amazing so how many times do you listen to it i don't know probably like 15 whoa that's how you know i know i know those sets yeah i listened i probably listened to that like once i listened to that and i listened to cascade edc set from this year like once a week (laughs) dude i one of the first times i went to a live show i just remember like being so just enamored in the moment and just feeling like wow how can i relive that didn't really even know that a lot of times they release live sets and every single time I went to go work out or I wanted to get pumped up for something. I listened to a live set. And that's just been like a part of my life for the past seven or eight years. There's nothing like it. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, it's ever since I had an iPod or a CD player or something that I could put like pre-recorded music onto myself. Mm-hmm. There's always been a DJ mix going. Always, Alex, always. let me ask you this. I, I just remembered I used to do this. I used to do a mix for a run or to exercise or to have for my own of like my own mix. That's why I wanted to start DJing. I was like, I can, I think I could put this together that better than this guy and do this and that those mixes. I came across one recently. Oh my God. It's so bad. So bad. But you know oh, what? 
you want to take it back, I have um I came across a mixed tape, an actual tape, double-sided tape of me playing UK Hard House. Let's go. From like 2000, I want to say 2003. <laughs> um yeah it's not good <laughs> not very good but hey i still had fire track selection but yeah <laughs> but i mean yeah I, I totally feel you on that i used to do that all the time actually when i first got cdjs and i had like a computer mm. that could burn cds or i oh, had like yeah. an ipod i made more mixes back then that i never released just to like listen to the new tracks that i got off beatport that week Yes. And, and like in a mixed format, because I was like, hey, nobody else is playing these songs. Right. I want to hear them. Let me, right. I'll just put it together myself. Like, I never <laughs> released any of these mixes. But I mean, that's how I mean, it's part of how I like became a good DJ, too, is because I was yeah. like just practicing all the time and like actually mm -hmm. practicing for the moment of creating something. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Not just like in the bedroom, but just actually thinking about like how to build a set and how songs layer nicely over each other and how to like sample things and do all the fun stuff that you do while you're DJing that nobody pays any attention to you, but you know what's happening. Oh, completely agree. I think it was Afrojack who said when he was growing up, he used to throw bedroom festivals where it was just like him. I I mean, that's the best. I have a sub pack and I'll yeah. throw the sub pack on and I'll literally, I this is a little embarrassing. I'll put in my earplugs, like I'm literally DJing and I'll crank that shit and I'll be like, I'm like literally at, at the show and that's how I get into it, man. Like, I just, I, I love it so much and there's nothing quite like it, but thank you for sharing that. Cause I thought I was one of the only DJs that's like just doing mixes for themselves. No, no, I've done it. I did it all the time. I, up until, I mean, even up to a few years ago, I was still, and I would put together a mix with the intention of putting it out sometimes mm -hmm. and they just never get around to it, but it would just sit on my SoundCloud. Cause apparently that's yeah. become the repository <laughs> for all recorded information among DJs and producers. <laughs> Like your SoundCloud no longer is the place to promote yourself. Yep. Where you just store everything. Yep. And I can go I went back. Of, yeah. When I, when I, be, when I changed from psychosis to Alex Amaro, mm -hmm. I went back and I like was deleting stuff. And I was like, oh man, there's mixes on here from like seven years ago that I forgot about. Dude, I need to look back too. Like my old, old one that was like connected to my first Facebook profile. There's probably some whack shit in there, but I got to check it out too. Check it out anyways. I was saying you probably still had fire track selection back then. I think I did. Yeah. A lot of big room early in the days, changing the drops, thinking that was smooth, but yes, <laughs> we all start somewhere. And now yeah, I like minimal, now I like minimal tech house. <laughs> I love hearing how like everybody's gone, like on these crazy journeys from like place to place. Like mm. when I talked to, um, when I talked to Farrick Don, Farrick Don actually said his first, dj project and producer project was hardcore like no way straight up gabber yeah straight up gabber 170 bpm let's go yeah, even um you know camel fat yeah um one of the guys from camel fat used to be up until maybe like seven or eight years ago was producing hardcore and happy hardcore dude mark from salardo was yeah. a dubstep producer right and dude, these uh, guys get kicks and bass that's what it is Fomo. these, these Fomo guys from know. uh FOMO from uh from uh, Gorgon City was producing was producing breaks and baseline like early early baseline house. Which and one Kai was or which one? Is it Kai? It's a uh, FOMO. Uh, is oh Kai? yes yes yeah. yes that that was his moniker. Yeah, I think his real name is Kai. Yeah, so yeah. true. Right, like some of like those early... UK guys. Yeah, well they get like you said they get bass and kick drums. Yes, they do. The... <laughs> How they work together perfectly. Dude, I can't tell you how many guests that I've interviewed 
that I start talking about, you know, the early inspirations and influences, they start by talking about death metal and like, wow. like the dubstep, like they started by being a dubstep producer, love death metal, punk. And these guys sound design on tech house and techno is like, it's next level because they just look at it differently, right? Like, I think right. that's the interesting thing about being a producer. Your influences from the early days, they're always kind of there, you know, oh, boiling a little bit, right? But it's like whatever rises to the top, but it's all still part of the same ingredient. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that kind of resonates with you because you've had two projects now. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, like, it's funny, like a lot of what I did as a breakbeat producer still reigns true today. Like. Mm -hmm you know, there's still a little bit of breakbeat in what I do. Like the backbeat of everything is still a breakbeat. It's just got no kick. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like yeah, I'm just dude. adding a four, four kick underneath it. But like, even like in terms of sound design, like there's so much crossover between genres and yeah. even going back further than that. I mean, like I have a classical background too. And just that kind of musicality plays through my music too. I feel like, Oh um, yeah. Yeah. So that's, you know, you're, everybody is just an amalgamation of all of their, previous influences even the stuff that their parents listen to that's how i always love that's why i always love to start off my interviews with yeah asking what did your parents listen to into the in the house and how did that influence you because you get some of the the most incredible answers people will just go back into the vault and talk about like listening to the beatles mm -hmm. or lpgo be talking to me about like her parents being deadheads and selling grilled cheese sandwiches at dead shows before <laughs> i love know? that interview man you know it's just crazy <laughs> to like that's i think that's the beautiful thing about music is like everybody has their own sound because everybody has their own musical dna yeah that's been that's been formed not just by them from from being a teenager or by their friends but also from their parents just mm -hmm. listening to music in the car on road trips and shit like that you know what i'm saying like absolutely yeah, yeah. it's all beautiful tapestry it, yes perfect and when you're a kid right like you're so influenced by your parents emotions because you're vulnerable right like you're trying to read right. the world through people that you trust older siblings your parents and when you yeah, see yeah. them because music has so much emotion tied to it right 100%. but like i said like when you're trying to figure out what emotion is there's no words that you can do right that's when like my mom used to sing Bruce Springsteen. She still still does. She's not she's it. not a good singer. But <laughs> seeing how happy she would get when Thunder Road comes on, you know, and she's like dancing around. And my grandpa loved musicals. And now I still love rock and roll and musicals. And my dad loved Journey and all that stuff. And it's so true, man. Like it is part of your musical DNA. And it's, yeah. it's definitely a large part of the reason why I love music, too. And I grew up with like such a rich, like it's crazy now thinking about it because you mentioned musicals. I mean, I was mm -hmm. in musical theater as a kid and as a teenager, and I grew up like listening to Phantom of the Opera and Les Mis, like Love and them. all of yes. these, you know, and I love them. And then also my dad was big into like classic rock. Okay. So he had a lot of like um, you know, Led Zeppelin, the Beatles and Rolling Stones. And, you know, chief crazy horse and all of the, mm -hmm. all of like, you know, seven, like late sixties, early to mid seventies stuff. And my mom loved soul music and also what was ever on the radio. So I heard a lot of pointer sisters <laughs> and even like yes. Neil diamond for some reason, like my mom <laughs> would listen to literally anything. And my brother is four and a half years older than me. Mm -hmm. And he got into hip hop. I mean, cause he's so much older than me. Like I started hearing hip hop, like probably when I was like, I remember hearing it when I was like seven or eight years old. Yeah, for sure. On tapes. And like, I heard a lot of hip hop and R&B 
and soul from like the late 80s and early mid 90s growing up too mm -hmm. so even by the time i started forming my own musical tastes i had all of this stuff like and then i was in a boys choir so i had like a classical influence going on there too like wow so and you were in norcal too which is it's yeah. its own type of music scene the whole which west coast rap scene and exactly like i heard two like you know too short um was you know was big yes like i remember my i remember two short tapes my brother had like <laughs> from like 89 88 like i mean at that short at that point too short had probably put out like 100 albums you know what i'm saying but <laughs> 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 he he literally he changed the status quo with like what you can do as a rapper just hit 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 it's crazy music it's so crazy and like I mean, I could still play "Blow the Whistle" today in a set, uh, a remix of "Blow the Whistle" today in the set. I do and play still the goes whistle. Up, oh, so do I. Yeah, <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I, I definitely play it. I have a Stan Warriors remix of Bitch, "Blow the Whistle," dude. People that, love and, that. And you drop the drop the volume on that one part, and everybody knows it. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. How does everybody know that song, dude? <laughs> that's so funny. It's that's like one of the most playable tracks as a dj that you know will work and we we thrive on those oh it's 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 fun it's just a fun <laughs> song like he he knew what he was doing and there's a yeah. whistle in it and who for a bunch of ravers you're even at a hip-hop club or at a rave everybody still loves it yep a little toot toot on it <laughs> i might have to clip that one that was good <laughs> that's awesome alex very cool man it's it's obvious that you know music is ingrained in, in in your blood and in your your bones and everything about you, man. So it's just 100%. cool to connect with someone who's so passionate about it and still pursuing it all these leaders. You've been in the music industry for twenty years now. Yeah, I think I, I went to my first rave in '99. Okay. Um, and really quickly, like maybe I went to my first rave in '99. It was like a massive, but I don't think I got it until I went to my second rave. In October of the same year, okay. Like the first pill, um, and then it clicked. Yeah, um, yeah. And then I kind sure. of like dove in, and from that point on, I was just kind of sold on it. And I think I started promoting probably at the end of the following year. Like okay. I started passing out flyers for promoters and showing up early to parties to like to help set up. And I started DJing in my bedroom. That's around the same time, and I think I got my first gig in like 2003 whoa so you were like all about it like fan first yeah fan first but i mean you know, i'd already had like i'd already been in music like semi-professionally before that like for, for yeah like you said years. in the voice choir right i was in a voice choir we traveled around the world with the voice choir um every year we went on a we went on a summer uh like summer summer tour and like in the voice choir i went i sang at saint peter's basilica for the pope like twice Wait, and what yeah <laughs> Uh, we sang at New Year's Day Mass for um, at St. Peter's. You what know, the hell? With 10,000 other. <laughs> I shouldn't say hell. Choirs. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a thing. Like my brother was That's in the so boys' cool. choir. That's so cool. Yeah, I, I got to do some really pretty awesome things when I was in the boys' choir. And then when I went into a high school choir that was competitive. Mm -hmm. um, so we, you know, I was in show choir and jazz ensemble and men's choir and and concert choir. And we competed at the state level and you know like won competitions in all of the choirs so like that was like my entire my entire high school career and then I was I had met some major in vocal music when I got into college mm -hmm. but by then I was already like heavy into the into the rave scene so yeah vocal music stopped being as much of the focus and I wanted to do other things but like music has literally been all I've done 
you know, been the biggest thing about my life for longer than I can remember. Um, yeah. So like kind of moving into the rave scene and like thinking I can turn this into a career or mm-hmm. try to turn this into a career has been just kind of the trajectory for me for forever. Cause I remember even when I was a kid putting like a bunch of random electronic things on my bed and playing music studio, like this is <laughs> the awesome. only thing I've ever wanted to do. Um, and yeah, I mean, when I got into the rave scene, I was a promoter, then I was a DJ, then I helped throw parties. Um, and then I don't even know, I fell into journalism. Fell um, into it, literally. I fell into journalism, yeah. I, As a breaks producer, I had a friend who was running a blog and he asked, he was looking for writers. And I was like, I could, I guess I could write about tracks, you know? Yeah. And decided to start doing that. Um, and I did that for like a year. And then I, I don't, I ran into Danny Deal on the internet of all, you know, where, where she's you the run queen into, of the internet. Yeah. Where you run into Danny Deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she, I think we became friends because I had done like a breaks edit of one of her and Sue Cho's tracks for okay. like years and years ago, a Dutch yeah. house track. Right. Um, and we started following each other and she put a call out for writers for her blog for, for dannydeal.com back in the day. Oh yeah. She told me a lot about that. Yeah. It's yeah. Awesome. And I came on staff for that. And then she said, she put a call out when Insomniac started to do their editorial site when they had, they had one for a few years, I think for about five years. And she, so this put is mid 2000s then just for timeline. 2011. Okay. So when I started, when I, yeah, when I started with, when I started writing for Danny, it was like 2010, I think. And then Insomniac started their 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 thing in like 2012, late 2012. Right uh, after I the signed on with, boom, the EDM boom, yeah. so Swedish, right? right. Special and time, and, time. Yeah. It was. And at the time, they still had like Thump and you still had like yeah. the, Nest, the, uh, the Nest HQ. Like there was a lot of blogs mm-hmm. still around. Like the, forgot about that. Yeah. So they started their thing and I was one of the first writer, the first freelance writers to sign on at Insomniac. I think I started there in 2013. Badass. Um, and then I just kept doing it. Like I, mm-hmm. I started off with just doing track reviews and my editor, John Ochoa, um, shout out John Ochoa, like one of the best editors in dance music. He works at John. Grammys. He works for uh, Grammy.com now. Um, Okay. He started giving me more stuff. I, on a whim, wrote an article about Dirty Bird because this was before Dirty Bird was like internationally renowned Dirty Bird. Dirty Bird was still, and they were big then, San Francisco. But they were, it was a big San Francisco thing back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah. Dirty Bird camp, Dirty Bird um, barbecue right. literally was a free party in the park in Golden Gate Park for a while. And the first time <laughs> they did like a larger show on Treasure Island, I mm-hmm. went for my birthday and I came home very inspired and wrote an article about Dirty Bird and they published it and they liked it and they were like, we want you to do more. That's so awesome. I got like, heavy pure into- love and passion. That's yeah, so cool. I got like heavy into writing and at the same time, I was always been producing and DJing, always. Jeez, got your yeah. hands in a lot of past. You know- uh, Danny called herself a multi-hyphenate, and you most definitely are as well, Alex. Yeah, I that's I guess that's accurate. I guess that's accurate. Yeah, I've definitely, and it's beyond like just writing and producing and DJing. I've also worked in tech um, and mm-hmm. done like label management and A and Ring. Um, I've tried to do everything, mm-hmm. um, which has been like a huge benefit. Um, 
it's a benefit like in my current job because I'm able to speak on so many different things. Absolutely. You know, and from a place of having done all of the things before, like working with like Spotify's and Apple Music's and talking about how how those things work and just like I, you know, having that understanding of the music industry is like such a been a, such a huge benefit to me, yeah. especially in like my current job because I talk to lots of D, I talk to DJs and producers all the time mm-hmm. and being able to relate to them on the level of like, hey, I've been in your shoes before, maybe not on the level that you have. Right. I'm not, I'm not an international, I'm not touring internationally, but at yeah. least I understand on the most basic level, like what it's like to release songs and what it's like to write a song and what it's like to DJ and mm-hmm. all of these things that like, not, not everybody can connect with another artist on, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I completely agree. I'm, I'm sitting in the same chair there with you. Totally. And yeah, dude, listen, you got to be a sponge, right? And it sounds like yeah. you definitely have done that. You got to always be, so, I try and say I'm like observing and absorbing. I'm always trying time. to learn, ask questions, put yourself out there, be respectful. Um, cause if, if you don't ask, no one's going to, no one's going to come and hold your hand. So you got, oh, no, you got to do your best to learn. And that's the thing too. One of a question I wanted to ask you, and since we're on the topic is there's a lot of people out there that want to get into the industry, right? And right. you can give them simple advice to CNBC and industry network message, introduce yourself, get better, hone your craft. But there's a lot of people that are now at this point that are maybe like us, right? right. But it's time to take it to the next level, but they need to know how to read a label contract. When do I need a manager? When do I need an agent? How do I get festival gigs? How do I get signed to this label? What is the next step for me, right? And that's something that you could probably provide wisdom on in saying different sort of pieces of advice. I mean, like, I feel like the number one thing for me, um, especially in dance music, because it's such a small community. And I say this all the time. Mm -hmm. The first thing you need to do is be nice. Um, (laughs) That's it, is you just need to be nice. You need to be respectful because there's it's not a huge community and you're just going to end up working with the same people (laughs) over and over again for the rest of your life that's just how (laughs) it is like you're just going to keep running into them like it happens to me all the time like i get thrown into an email chain to talk about something and i look at i look at like this person's manager and i'm like oh i i've worked with this person before and i've worked with them like five or six times or like another dj or people and they're like you they've been here they've been there they've been there they know this person that person exactly like it's it's just a huge revolving door of people so always be nice and above all else like you know don't be afraid to ask questions and don't be afraid to ask even the most important people for questions because sure lots of people will never message you back yeah. Lots of people are too busy to, it doesn't mean that they're a bad person. It just means that they may be too busy to message everybody back. Yep. <clears throat> but you never know when someone's going to respond to you. Yeah. And if you have a question that you feel like only one person can answer, the best thing you can do is just ask that person the fucking question. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. cause you never know if they're, if they're going to respond. Like I, I you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't shoot. Yep. And a lot of what I've, you know, a lot of people get ahead just by throwing it out there. Like, especially with DJs and like producers, like it's frustrating as hell sending your tracks out to labels yeah, and knowing for a fact that they never get listened to a hundred percent. It's yep. super frustrating, it's but sad. you know what, but you got to just keep, got to keep pushing at it. Cause all it takes is one person. You got to get 150 no's. All it takes is one. Yes. And you got it like, it's not even about having a thick skin. It's about saying like, Hey, if you know your worth and you know that you know what you want and you're passionate about this and you want to stick to it, there's really no other option. And that's how it's always been for me. I've never had another option. It's just music. 
I don't I really I don't like want, that. Yeah, I don't want to do anything else. Yeah. I've, and I've had people flat out tell me, oh, you should get into tech. And I'm like, eh, that just sounds boring, man. I don't want to do that. I'm I from like Oakland. Music. This ain't San yeah. Fran, baby. Come no, on. <laughs> I don't want to do that. That sounds really boring. I'm sorry. I want to be in music. I like what I do. Yep. I love that. Yep. You got to be unapologetically yourself. And that's 100%. so true. It's a simple piece of advice. I can't tell you how many people I've messaged. And that's the thing too. Half the battle is identifying who do I ask this question to and trying to save that time. The other half of it is what is the right question? Because sometimes you have all these things mixed up in one and there's a lot of younger producers and DJs that reach out to me and you know they ask me the simple questions. How did you get yeah. to where you are? And I told them one, a lot of hard work and two patience, but also three, making sure I get up every morning and I love what I'm doing, regardless of what people define me as successful or unsuccessful. Because, think, yeah, and you know, defining success for yourself is really important too. Yes. Um, because not everybody's measure of success is the same. And it's something Absolutely. that changes for you from year to year and day to day. Mm -hmm. But if you can count any wins mm -hmm. in the book for yourself, that's a success. Yeah. Getting one DJ gig where you play in front of actual live people mm -hmm. is success. During yep. the pandemic, getting on any live stream and having any amount of people in the room watching you is a success. Yep. And you can build on the smallest successes because everybody started out in a room playing to the promoter yeah. and, and their <laughs> the they're, they're girls, girl or boyfriend <laughs> and, you know, the bartenders. Yeah. Who, you know, everybody got to start somewhere. So you got it. You have to measure your success by from like where you're at at the time, like, and be patient. Like you said, yep. You got to play the long game. You do. That's, yeah. that's definitely one of the most humbling parts of the industry to me is like, um, you know, I'm, you've talked to a lot of big DJs, but when I interviewed Sid, um, you know, I go in thinking this guy's massive. He's collaborating with Cascade and he's got a record label. Like this guy's done it. He's, he's Grammy, won two Grammys, right? Like, what do I have in common with this guy? Everything in common with this guy. He's just years down the road. Right. And yeah. he's never stopped. And it was a very humbling experience for me and, and talking to producers of, of all shapes, sizes, experience years in the industry, they all start somewhere and yeah. there's really no shortcuts. And if you do take shortcuts, it's a quick, it's a quick ledge from what I've learned. So hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. No, hundred percent. Like there, you know, it takes what it takes 10 years for overnight success. Um, and like, I saw that people, tweet recently from melee. Yeah. Yeah. And if you, even the people you think blew up overnight, you know, everybody's like, where'd this person come from? They came out of nowhere. Which, <laughs> no, nobody, they did it. <laughs> no, they did it. They've already been doing this for 10 years. You just didn't know about them until now. Yeah. That's, that's the whole point is like, you just didn't know it, but they've been doing this forever. Very seldom do you find a person who's like, oh, they've only been producing for, for three or four years or five or six years. It's, it's rare. rare. It's rare. Very and there's rare. a few of them out there right now. And it's easier yeah. to do that now with all the resources people have. No barrier to entry, man, when you're a kid, but, right? Yeah. But, yeah. but that's still super rare. You're going to have to yeah. put, in some, put in some years of work to get, to get anything. Yep. And I think that's one of the double-edged swords about social media these days is it's so easy to compare yourself to those people who are successful in a quick amount of time. And I brought up John Summit many times and, you know, he's probably the biggest artist of this year in house music. He's one of those guys. He's a humble, nice guy from Naperville, Illinois, man, who like has worked his ass off to get here. Right. And people think he's an overnight celebrity. And no, not at all. Actually, not at all. 
I so I used to work at a, a DJ mix company that mm-hmm. was distributing DJ mixes to streaming services. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember we got a bunch of mixes. This is probably like six years ago or mm-hmm. five years ago. And that's the first time I heard I saw John Summit's name. No way. His mixes like he's been he's already been doing this forever. He's been releasing tracks like for a while now. And yep. like all of the the I, I call like builder house music labels, mm-hmm. um, the the labels that everybody looks to to find out what the next thing is. Yeah, he's released on every single one of them. Like <laughs> you know, yes. like your your rock like rock bottoms and mm-hmm. and hood politics stuff. Like all of these labels that have like I've been the farmhouses for 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 the new talent. Yep. he's released on every single one of these labels. Like yep. he's been doing this for a long time. He's probably got a catalog of like fifty or sixty releases before Deep End even came out. Oh yeah. For sure. For sure. And it's, it's, it's hard because I think a lot of people are like, Oh, wow. John kills it on social media. That's why he's big. And it's like, listen, you're looking at such a small fraction of people, right? When there's millions more people that are trying to make it. But when you see just a certain amount of people, because like you said, it's a small industry. There's only so many popular labels. There's only so many festivals you can play at that we consider reputable or whatever. Right. And you see those names and you're like, he got lucky, whatever. No, you, no. you just got to know that you got, I, I live by one fan at a time motto, Alex. That's my 100%. thing. One yeah. fan at a time. If I can make an impact on one person, if I can ask one question, if I can do one thing and it's just to make a positive impact on people, that's my only goal. And I know that that's again, fulfilling for me. And that's, what's going to make me do this for as long as I possibly can. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, if you can, if you can touch one person's life, you've, done your job done more than most you've done more than most most people i mean anybody that's in the music industry that has the opportunity to be in front of anybody mm-hmm. at all or gets paid any amount of money yeah it's a blessing it is it's a it's a blessing and you know that's how you got to count your wins like you're it's a blessing to it's a blessing to get on stage at ever yeah i never in, in the history of music have we realized that more than now like so true. how much of a blessing it is to stand in front of even a crowd of three people sometimes and yeah, and do what you do for sure. And it's, mm-hmm. it's great to see what's happening in North America too. I know you, you're very knowledgeable on European markets and gray area is originally, is that, are they European based? No. So gray area is, was started by Michael Julian. Um, okay. A lot of people know him as MJ. Okay. Um, he's one of the, fa- he was one of the founders of electric zoo. Um, oh, he's okay. been in the New York scene for, for ages. He's been mm. he's been throwing parties in the New York scene for ages. Wow. Um, and Gray Area also MJ's also like the North American guy for Elro. Um, Sick. And Gray Area is started off as like an events and marketing company, mm-hmm. and the editorial platform started earlier this year with like our spotlights, and has mm-hmm. now expanded into like magazine, which is like which is more of the journalism stuff. And we're also going to be doing like event recommendations and like travel adventures. We're just really expanding right now, cool. but it's a New York based company um, of people that have just, that are super passionate about house music. And yeah, the aim is to expose North American audiences to the broader community of house music all over the world. I mean, yeah. there's people in, there's people in Europe who are, who are, pulling multi-million streams like 10 15 million streams they're playing at festivals all over europe they're yep. booked in ibiza, ibiza 
all all summer. Mm-hmm. They're headlining. They're playing in front of 10, 15,000 people. Yep. And you would never see their name on it. Can't US get a gig in Chicago, New York, Los Chicago. Angeles. Exactly. Yeah. Like, and that's, it's kind of sad. Um, yeah. Because there's, you know, that's, there's a lot happening over there. And I think, you know, what we really want to do is, is re kind of unite the house music community back together. Like, mm-hmm. the US has done a really great job of uniting itself and it has its own, like, its yeah. own group of people. A lot of people move here just for that, like from Europe. Mm-hmm. And we've, this is a special time because there was a time when people wanted to move to Europe for yeah for theirs, and now people want to come here because it's so big here. So we want we want to make make it so European, you know, European acts and acts from South America and even you know just outside of the U.S. can mm-hmm. get their can get their their due here. You know what I'm saying? Totally, and that's why I asked if it's European based because you have this European mindset about like everybody's welcome right and you guys were hyper focused on house music on a global scale but recording from you know u.s ground and i was like this is a really really interesting company and brand what you guys are doing so thanks for that explanation that's awesome and everybody's got to go check out gray area because it's all it's legit like the whole message is there and it it really is an exciting time in north america specifically because we've always kind of been behind the curve you know just in terms of timing I mean, we, you know, house music and techno emerged from the from the U.S. And then when it hit Europe, it hit the U.K. and Europe, it exploded there. And I've always thought, you know, having traveled there when I was in a boys choir, mm-hmm. I see, let's, let's be honest, like Europe just has a longer history in yeah. general. So they've totally, had a, yeah. they have, they've had a longer time to appreciate music of all kinds. Mm-hmm. It's entrenched in every culture and, and, in in europe yeah. when we when i sang in the voice choir we would go sit we would sing here and the mm-hmm. only people that would show up were our parents we would <laughs> go to we would go to europe and sing at a church yeah and the church yeah. would be full of people <laughs> they don't know, know you and they don't know who we are <laughs> and they would give us a standing ovation at the end and i'm like Damn. But this is but this is how deeply entrenched music culture is there that they they just appreciated of all kinds, you know, music of all kinds. And I think that's why dance music blew up there too. Yeah. Because they just, they, they're just open to it. They're just open to all of the things. They're just a little bit more discerning. And the U S is a little bit more pop culture focused. Mm-hmm. Um, and True. once dance music turned into pop culture, then it became a thing. And what's great about that is say what you will about EDM, mm-hmm. but it allowed space for all of the other things to start to thrive. And we're like, at, we're really at, we're past EDM now. We're way, way past it. We are. Like, you mentioned it's really just a marketing term. It is a market. Yeah, that's what I, I, I had a very, very a, a, a viral tweet, I guess. I couldn't agree people more. Ang- people were angry about this, but EDM is a marketing term. It was. What were they angry like, about exactly? They, what- I think people, I think people have trouble parsing the idea that that EDM at one time meant something specific. EDM, yes. when when people first started talking about EDM as a term, mm-hmm. it was used to explain one very, very specific part of dance music. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I was trying to say is Chicago House is, I mean, it's EDM if you want to call it that, but Chicago House isn't EDM. Chicago House is Chicago House. And I think we've gotten <laughs> to the point where we should be able to just call things by their name. Like, 
dance music yeah. is is much broader than most than most forms of music. Like if you look yeah. at rock, rock is really broad, mm-hmm. but nobody's calling heavy metal just rock. They're calling heavy metal heavy metal, and they're calling punk punk, and they're calling alternative alternative because all of those things have those those are the distinct styles within the genre yeah. within the larger genre. Yeah. But only in dance music are people like, oh, it's all EDM, and it's like no, because trance is trance, and yeah. house is house, yeah. and techno is techno. It's, yep. I think we've gotten to the point now where we can call things by their name mm-hmm. and we should be able to educate people if they haven't heard it. I, most people in, in the world, in the U.S. now, have become familiar with dance music in one yes. way or another. I think we can start calling things by their name. And I think people were a little upset because they're like, oh, well, you're gatekeeping. And I'm like, I'm not gatekeeping. I'm just saying we should call things by their name now. We can do that. We've gotten to the point now where we can... At the very least, say this is house music. Not mm-hmm. everything is everything is not EDM. Yeah, EDM was a very specific moment in time. Absolutely, so well said, and I couldn't agree more. And, and that's one of the reasons I love Twitter too. I feel like you get a lot of actual, real, uh, you know, clashing feedbacks. And I, it is, it has been a mission of mine, as much as I possibly can, to spread the good word of Chicago house music and Detroit techno and the role that it played. I mean, so many people that are that would even maybe call themselves big dance music fans probably don't know that one of the main reasons Europe blew up with it, electronic music, was because of Chicago and Detroit, right? Like the literally the OGs, like Farley Jack Master Funk and Frankie Knuckles and the Saunderson brothers, right? Like their sound music there. Yeah, exactly. Right. I don't think a lot of people know Frankie Knuckles is actually from New York. So he right, brought he some of that new, yeah. Well, he, he brought the Paradise Garage sound. He does, yes. And, okay, I knew you know what you're talking well, about. Well, I mean, you know, what's funny too is people talk about like the American, the United States influence on on European dance music is like is undisputable because first Huge. of all, a lot of them still talk about how their sound is Detroit based or mm-hmm. or is is Chicago based. But even beyond that, like even the term like the genre garage. <laughs> the reason they named it that is because of the Paradise Garage. Yep. <laughs> that it literally takes its name from something that existed in the US before it. So, yep. you know, it really makes me happy to see dance music kind of coming home again, like recently, like in Absolutely. the last few years. Like, it's nice to see America back, back on top and kind of owning that. And also to see like people of color. Yeah, starting to own that part of the history too, because that's something that always gets missed. Like for so long, people yeah. said, and I mean, I got this when I first started going to parties. Mm-hmm. Oh, raves, dance music. Oh, that's white people stuff. And I'm like, but really, yeah, that that was like I want to say in like the late like early 2000s, late 90s. That's you know, it yeah. was considered not, it was not considered a part of black culture in some parts of the country, um, and it it's just as much a part of black culture and, you know, the LGBTQ population as hip hop or voguing or anything, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, absolutely. It's, yeah. So I, it's, it's nice to see people recognizing that again as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Slowly, but surely I know uh, the mentioned Danny again, she's been a huge proponent and, and speaker for LGBTQ people of color, like females, of course. And, as the change hasn't happened as much as we'd like to since her TED talk about women's STEM and EDM. But I do think it's at least heading in the right direction. I hear people talking about it more and more. And I think it's really exciting too, because as I can speak for myself, right? Like when I first got into electronic music, it was that Avicii boom in 2011, right? The first electronic music song I actually ever heard was Warp 1.9 by the Bloody Beat Roots and Steve Aoki. 
I love that song. I've, I was blown away. I'm like, what the hell am I? I think it was one of the first times I was drunk too. And I was like, what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> but right, like you, you're like, I want to go hear this live. Big Room Progressive is really popular, 2011 and 2013. Flash Adamas original Don remix kind of sparks this generation of trap. Dubstep rhythm have a rhyme and a time. House is always kind of still there, right? Always. It's always growing. It's never, never really slowed down. And then I realized, okay, I love this music still. I love this energy. I love this community, but I can't, I can't headbang for three days like I used to. I'm growing up. I get hung over as shit, you know? Right. <laughs> so I still want to go, but I want to listen to house because I can do that for an extended period of time and I can enjoy that. And I see that happening collectively now. So I think it's just proof that we're kind of, we're, we're really coming full circle right now with the scene well, and, and the scene house is definitely It's progressing. It's progressing yeah. a lot. And I mean, even um, other sectors of the scene are progressing too. Like people have definitely found their niches, um, like yeah. seeing hardcore start to get like a U.S. presence is kind of is kind of crazy, but like <laughs> I feel like a lot of you know a lot of EDM kids. Every as you grow up, I feel like your tastes just get you start to slow down and your tastes get a little more discerning, and you need something a little a little groovier every, all the time. Yeah. I still like to rage out every now and then. I still me too. I still I'll still wander into the drum and bass room and and check oh it yeah, out. and you know drum and I, bass is growing too a it's lot. Growing, yeah. I you know and I'll go to the bass pod at EDC because mm-hmm. you know I, I may not be headbanging, but I still love dubstep. Dubstep, but yep. House is where it's at, man. <laughs> it is where it's at, man. House is where it's at. It's great to see. It's yeah. it's really great to see. And like we mentioned Chicago a lot, and I'll be the first person to tell you that there's been a lot of ups and downs in the house music scene. And thanks to Arc and a lot of the promoters here that have opened new venues, and we have a lot of you know establishments that are just legendary, right? Like Smart Bar, Spy Bar, right. Sound Bar, all those sorts of places. Um, but now it's the talent that we're bringing in. We just had Solomon come play at this new venue called Radius. Um, we had oh, Radius is amazing. Did you go? Yeah, I did. Dude, how sick is that place? It is. Um, it's one of the best venues I've I've been to in the United States. Like it is. It took a long time to get that venue. We've needed that venue. I know. I am surprised that you that a place like Chicago didn't have something like that for long. Mm-hmm. That is totally. It, it's a great spot. We've got some big venues, but it's, you know, I mean, it's, it, there'll be Live Nation run, there'll be, you know, more pop promoter focus and stuff, right? And this injection in the past three years with younger talent, that's really, call them hometown heroes, you know, the John Summits and people like that, right? bringing people out. And it's also too, I believe, like, not the, I don't want to call it commercialization because there's vocals, but there's a lot of relatability you know to bring up hood politics right like you have tracks that are remixes call them of popular songs or edits and stuff right it kind of tricks people i call it open format house alex like if i'm djing and i know it's maybe not a tech house crowd but i know if i give them some sort of sing-along that then goes into a, a fun danceable track that would be definitely considered house but they would never listen to it if it didn't have the actual lyrics and i see right. that kind of coming full circle now into an originality with singers that are working with talented producers and i don't think people know that dua lipa tracks are produced by dance music producers i don't think people know that lady gaga's album was produced by chami and axwell right well i mean blessed madonna is working like heavily with with dua lipa like there's yeah great example 
dan- the dance music producers i mean and dance music producers have been doing this for a really long time like yeah. cedric, cedric gervais <laughs> was working with madonna like over yep. a decade ago yep you know what i'm saying and mm-hmm. like paul paul oakenfold worked with madonna like two decades ago so <laughs> you know dance music producers have always been a part of the equation um but yep. it's nice now to see dance music producers like really really like stepping out and being like you know, being a part of like pop music. But I think also we're in this age of the producer too, where people actually know who producers are. Yeah. Because up until you, until, up until you got, up until like, you know, Neptunes, like you got, when, when the Neptunes and Missy Elliott and Timbaland came along, that was yep. the beginning of the era of the producer. That's when yep. producers were stepping out front as part of, of the work. They weren't just behind the boards. So and I true. think that's paved the way for dance music to, to thrive the way it has because now producers that's not the producers not just some unknown face behind the boards yep the producer is also the star and that's important especially in in music where your primary aim is to get djs to play it yeah and i think it's also again paved the path for people to realize that i can be a producer and i don't have to be a worldwide touring dj to have a career or be successful because yeah. that's yeah. not for everybody i mean we've it seen totally that isn't. in the worst possible forms many many times right on large and small scales so i i am always trying to encourage people if they want to enter the music industry just know you don't have to be the dj that djs five times a week that travels by themselves like that doesn't have to be your end all goal in fact it should always be for the music in whatever form you want it to be oh 100 percent and I feel like people during the pandemic too, like a lot of even touring DJs realized that yep. that wasn't the life for them and that they were burning the candle at both ends. And it's not sustainable. It's not. You can't do that all the time, especially once you start to get older and you start to have a family. Like, you know, it's nice to play, but yeah. But not not all the time, man. Not five nope. days a week. I can't you you can't even keep up with that. No, and not everybody's Tiesto with their own private jet with their logo on the side. That's like what people compare themselves to. It's like, dude, there's like five Tiestos, right? That's it. That's yeah, it. Yeah, there's right. Yeah, seriously. There's like you, Tiesto and Calvin Harris are are on and Diplo are on other levels of exactly they're of of fame and fortune. Like that's not don't it's it's apple. You're not you're comparing apples to watermelons at that point. <laughs> yeah watermelons exactly yeah it's not oranges it's apples to watermelons <laughs> i mean sure they're both rounds but they're sure. not the same <laughs> that's funny i'm stealing that from you that's good <laughs> all right alex i want to talk music with you we've been talking a lot about you know every everything else that you're doing djing and, and writing and stuff but you really are a great producer you mentioned before you actually started this alex amaro brand you were doing something called psychosis right yeah, I was a breaks producer for like 10 years, actually. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I, that was like the first thing I really, like when I first started releasing music, mm-hmm. I was releasing breaks. Um, and I did pretty well. Um, I got to the point where um, I was working, I was an A&R for, for Punks, which is the Stanton Warriors record label. Yeah, and I've then heard. I was also, I was also like the label manager for Decline's record label for a little while and i you know i released a lot of music and for some reason people told me that my music was good but i never really believed them <laughs> and i i always i was always scared to play my own music out i play i did a I lot of edits i did a lot of breakbeat edits of like house tracks yeah um and it got to a point where i wasn't super inspired anymore and mm-hmm. i was like bored by it 
And I decided, I was like, let me just give my hand to like making a house song. Um, and the idea for me to change my name was always in the back, was always in the back of my mind. I had a friend suggest it to me, a friend from the UK suggested to me at some point. He told me mm. like, he said, your name's psychosis. It doesn't fit you. <laughs> he was like, how long have you had that for? And I was like, I don't know, since I was a raver, I'm pretty sure I thought of it while I was taking a dump one day. And, <laughs> and he was like, he was like, no, mate, that doesn't, it just doesn't fit you. He's like, I, he's like, I like your music, but I don't like that name. And he was like, what's your middle name? And I said, Amaro. And he's like, oh yeah, that's real nice. He was like, you should go by Alex Amaro. And I always kept that in the back of my mind. That's a good name. Yeah. And it's my dad's name too. My dad, my dad's name is Amaro. Oh, that's um, awesome. And I, spent a weekend in Ableton sitting on my couch producing mm -hmm. and I produced three house tracks and it felt great. I was like, Oh, Oh, this is, I'm able to encapsulate everything that I've learned about production up until this point Yeah, into something that I feel like one is more me than anything mm -hmm. else has ever been, mm -hmm. but also I feel like is going to have wider appeal and, um, it's just like, it's just, I feel it more than I, than I was starting to feel breakbeat. And I sent this stuff off to my, I have, a, I have a guy who I've worked with for years. Who's my, who does all of my, my mixing and mastering for me. And I sent him these three tracks and I was like, Oh, look, can you do some work on these? And he was like, dude, he was like, this is the best music you've ever produced. He was like, he was like, stop making breaks. He was like, this is you. He was like, this is, this is more you than I've ever heard you be. Wow. Um, yeah. And Actually, I started sending these tracks around to friends and they were like, yeah, these are really good. And it mm. was the first time in, in a long time I'd really felt really, really good about the music that I was making. Yeah, that's special. And, and it was one of the first times that I was ever felt confident enough to play my own music out in my DJ sets. Yeah. You know, when there's more than three people on the dance floor, when you're not <laughs> opening, like when I'm not like, oh, or when Testing it's like, it. you know, when you're yeah. playing one of the, it's, I felt like I could do it whenever. Mm -hmm. And that's like kind of how I came into this. But like, you know, I feel like breaks definitely gave me the foundation to stand on. Yeah. Um, Shows me percussion for sure. Man. Yeah. That's where, I mean, that's, that's one of the comments that I always get is my, my percussion is definitely more breaky than, than how most house stuff is like. Which really gives it this unique sound. Thank you. I appreciate that. I mean, yeah, that's one of the the most some of the most fun I have is making my drums, and I probably spend the most time on that. Mm -hmm. um, like I'll lay down a kick drum and a high and a hi hat pattern, but I mm -hmm. love making all the sparkly fills. Yeah, like the fun fills and like adding weird progression elements that don't always repeat themselves mm -hmm. in my tracks. Like it's some of the most fun is to add the ear candy on the top because i feel like that's what gives the track its spice absolutely and alex so much more makes sense about your sound now you everything you just said kind of reminds me of this chris lake quote that i like to bring up which is once you know the rules then you know how to break them 100%. and you just mentioned a track that really follows no no rules your your release on ofdm records make you sweat like this track is heat dude it's got like a confession vibe but it's got a little mala and dr fresh energy to it i know you guys are gonna love this one too this one's called make you sweat by alex amaro via ofdm records
base is sick. The bass line is dirty. I mean, so, do you remember making this track? Because like, I you do. must, and you I must can... have been inspired because it, it is good. It's funny that you mentioned Chris Lake. Oh, yeah? Because the inspiration from that song mm -hmm. was Chris Lake and Anna Luno's track, Stomper. Oh, okay. <laughs> and uh... so this the track, they sampled an old school house track for Stomper. Yeah. I found this out when I was like, I do want these weird deep dives on uh, who sampled who all the time to find <laughs> old shit to sample that nobody has sampled in a really long time. Yeah. And I found the old track and I sampled it, but I just sampled a different part of it. Mm -hmm. And then I replayed some of the bits and I was like, oh, cool. That was, that's the piano. So that was your reference track for sure. Yeah. That was my reference is that that piano line is that. And I wow. just built the track around that. Um, hmm. And the vocal is, is another like, it's a, a snip from an old breakbeat track um, that I found that I was like, oh, this works. And I'd always wanted to use it. So I, I clipped it out and it was just like one of those things where I felt super inspired and it really worked. That's actually one of my, like one of the, my favorite tracks I've ever produced. I, Dude. yeah. It's I can't sick. get enough like it, it always goes really well down and really well on the dance floor too. And you know the highest form of a compliment, DJ to DJs, if I tell you it's on the USB. I didn't just hard it on Spotify. Hey, I didn't just repost it on that. SoundCloud. I downloaded that shit, put it in my record box, and I put it on a USB. Okay. I That's love how you that. Know. It made it on the USB. That's it made it on the USB. Because a lot of people bullshit Eli like this track. Are you ever gonna play it? Tell Are me you ever gonna play it though? Tell yeah. me the truth. <laughs> <laughs> yes, dude. Yes. <laughs> it's funny you brought up that track have you listened to the uh chris lake and anna luno interview that she did on her new podcast no i've been meaning to listen to that like she's a fabulous interviewer and he's actually a fabulous interview too um he's oh, a great dude. person to listen to talk i mean listening to that interview gave me chills like because you know they're both global and chris lake is one of the top in the world right now and it's just been really cool to see his rise i think a lot of people forget about his previous productions i mean he literally helped make boneless with tujama and steve aoki oh yeah well i mean even before that chris lake was producing like i remember seeing chris lake at in a side room at a show like a, a massive in san francisco in like mm -hmm. 2006 yeah and this is like been around like, dude he's been around for a really long time and has mm -hmm. been producing really fucking great music the whole time and he's yeah. gone through so many permutations yep. of his sounds um but like has been consistent forever yep and i think that's cool like i mean it was probably it was probably maybe tough for you you know you were letting go of a brand that you had put a lot of time into but you knew there was longevity in this next step for you in house and i think that's part of what it is too is i feel yeah. not just the longevity but i feel more at home in it and yeah it took me like two years to pull the trigger on it because i considered it for a long time yeah um probably from the moment that somebody suggested i change my name and then <laughs> like I had always played house and breaks. Like there was always house in every single one of my sets. Mm -hmm. um, but it started to become more house and more house. <laughs> and even like, I feel like the year before I switched over, like I closed for the Stanton Warriors. Oh, I opened for the Stanton Warriors. Yeah. And I played like a 75% house house set. <laughs> and I was opening for like one of the biggest breakbeat hacks in the world. <laughs> and, like, and I'm like, hmm, there's something here maybe maybe i should just keep playing house like you know maybe that's what i should do so yeah i it was kind of like a long a long transition so by the time that i got to where i was doing it and i kind of announced that i was doing it i kind of had my 
my my game played out. I released one last mix, one last really big mix where I put all of these like edits and remixes that I had done over the course of a year into it. And I was like, this is my last mix. I'm wow. done with it after this. And people are like, are you ever going to play a psychosis again? Can I book you a psychosis for a break set? And I'm like, no, you can book me as Alex tomorrow to play breaks, but I'm that's it's behind me now. Like I, this is me now. I mean, and it's also yeah. my name. I feel yeah. this, it suits me. It's you. It is me. That's awesome. Sometimes you got to have that live experience. I mean, it actually reminds me to bring up Cloverdale again. He used to go by this dubstep producer, but he was named AWOL and had a ton of success, was yeah, doing was... well, but he was playing sets kind of like undercover doing house sets because he was like, I can't, I can't keep doing the dubstep. Like, I really like playing house sets. And it's right. so much fun being a house DJ because there's no rules. There's no rules really as a DJ, but with house, it's up to you. When you, there's nothing better, in my opinion, than when you get to just play the music you want as a house DJ. Don't have to make anybody happy. Obviously, that's part of the goal, but I think that's part of the excitement of being a house DJ. 100%. And I mean, and people ask me too, they're like, oh, so are you like a tech house DJ or a bass house DJ? I'm like, yeah, no, I just play house music, man. Like, it, what if my sets? I don't know like, yet. <laughs> I don't know yet. Like you're going to hear, you'll hear both of those things and probably yeah. like five other subgenres of house music and maybe some techno. I don't know, but I'm just playing, <laughs> I'm playing four on the floor shit that sounds good. That's what I do. Man. Yeah. Don't you worry about what I play. You'll be moving. Yeah. Go get yourself yeah, a beer. Okay. Just go get a beer and come back to the dance floor. Come on. <laughs> Stop asking me questions. Yes. Next question. <laughs> awesome, man. So I, I loved your uh, release on Night Engine. The, this is a great label run by some fantastic Canadian guys and your Amazing track Rise. Man. They're good. Are they Canadian, right? They're Canadian. Yeah. Danny's, Very uh, Canadian. Well, Danny is is from Canada. Um, Jillian lives in New York, actually, I think. Okay. Yeah. So Danny does the mixes though, right? Because every he'll he'll Canadian accents are so funny to me because oh yeah, that's him. they'll sound totally normal, and then all of a sudden one word is like, what the did they just say? The boot. <laughs> I love it. Night Engine has been so cool, and they're they're a, a great label to me. That's done a great job building a real fan base via SoundCloud because they're still hardcore. You know, SoundCloud obviously has changed and certainly lost a lot of traction, but they've been around and it's cool to see what they've done and to see you release on that label. I was like, this is fucking awesome. And your track is it's done really well, man. Rise. And you made a VIP edit of it. Cause you knew it was good. All right, let's check out this heater right now. This one's called rise by Alex Amaro via night engine. Rise up. I mean, that was actually when I talked to you earlier about the 
the first three tracks that I first three house tracks I ever made in a weekend, that was the very first one. Whoa. That was the very first house track that I ever produced. Makes sense. Um, and the reason it's called Rise, not just because of the the vocal that's in it, mm-hmm. but all of the synths, they're all just risers. <laughs> They're all, so just, hard, yeah. they're all just different <laughs> risers i was just like i was like oh let me see it, it, it worked and there was like maybe like six or seven different risers and that's why it keeps switching up but yeah they're just all different yeah they're just all different risers with the with the funky baseline underneath it's so sick and anytime a producer makes a remix or a vip edit of their own track that's when i'm like they really were inspired with this one because usually it's tough to even just get one full idea out, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, when you were like, did you finish the track? You Obviously, you said it was the first one you produced. When did you actually put your VIP spin on it? And how did you go about that? Um, so I want to say, let's see, I produced that in like mid-2018 mm-hmm. or 2019, mid-2019. Okay. And then after it got released, it got released in June of 2020 mm-hmm. um, in the middle of the pandemic. Um and you know i was only playing fucking live stream sets for really yeah. for a really long time and i think mm-hmm. in san francisco we have a couple of we had a, a place called the midway that was open for in person in person shows it's yeah. a large venue that has like a large outdoor area they were doing dining as djs and that was the first that was one of the first times i had played it before i had switched over to alex tomorrow but it was the first time I'd heard it on like a really massive system. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, this is really great. Hell yeah. But I feel like I could take it in a different direction. Okay. Like, because I like, like I said, I'm kind of on the cusp between tech house and bass house. It's not really definable. And I kind of wanted to give it like a grimier spin. Um, and also I was kind of inspired by by Eric Mark, um, who did the drum and bass remix of it. Um, he did a drum, him and Vanessa did a drum and bass remix for Word. Mm-hmm. and that's why i hit him up to do the remix so part of the reason i nice. did the vip was to add to the remix package okay and also because i wanted to put a different spin on it yeah um and after hearing his remix i was just there his remix i was just like oh i gotta i gotta go super dirty on this one yeah yeah and it's dope which one do you play live or does it depend on the heat of the moment it depends on the heat of the moment but i still yeah. i i play the original a lot i play the original a lot um and i play it depends on the crowd it definitely totally. depends on the crowd. Like if if it's a if I if I feel like I can get a little bit grimier, then I'll play the uh, the remix. <laughs> but the the original still has a special place in my heart because it was like, yeah. it's the first. It's the it was like the first thing that I do, that I did under this project, mm. and I don't know. It just really hits. It's, it's cool, man. Know, yeah. It's really cool. Definitely yeah. another one you got to add to the USB people. It it works. Yeah, it's. Yeah, that's one of my, it's one of my, my best, one of the best tracks I've ever produced, I will definitely say. Probably like still going to keep playing it for a long time. There you go. There you yeah. go, baby. That's what I like tired, to hear. I'm not, ti- I'm not tired of it yet. So, and yeah, a lot, of my, a lot of my songs I get tired of real fast. So that's got to say something. And there's, it sounds a lot different when you're listening on your, on your DAW and then all of a sudden you hear it on Spotify, you're like, I'm hearing something different right now. This is not 100%. what I sent. This is not what exactly. I'm like, yeah, so this one, it still works. So I'm not going to, I'm not <laughs> yeah. mad about it. 
only producers will understand it's it's something right. we have to deal with yeah because <laughs> you listen to it a million times but no by the time it comes out you've you were sick of it six months ago yeah <laughs> yeah and then the label takes six months to sign it and six months to release it you're like what track exactly. is this again <laughs> like exactly i've been surprised before like i see a track coming out i'm like damn i forgot about that one damn <laughs> oh, shit. oh yeah i did produce that oh god trying to trying to fix those things if i can out here in the world but that would be another podcast for us right <laughs> hey running a label is hard work man like there's it's true you know i feel i can equate running a label and the the amount of content that you get to release once you've started to establish yourself to like running a website or running an editorial thing or doing a podcast like you just yeah. end up with so much so many more things that you planned on having and mm -hmm. trying to plan it all out into the future is just, it's hard. So I feel for it people is. that run labels, man, it's not, it's not easy. It's not easy work. No. So I try to be as patient as I can mm -hmm. when, when a label has been sitting on, on my songs for, for a year. It's cool. Hey, yeah, it is. You know, maybe, it is. It's, maybe it'll be better when it comes out a year, when it, if it comes out a year later, who knows? Just keep moving and grooving. That's what I always tell people. Yeah. And here's the thing too. There's very few labels that are actual full-on businesses that employ people you know not every label um, is tool room or defected and have employees a staff and a staff no, like most, most of the time it's run by it's it's housed by some marketing company who's helping with the promotion and then a dj who's behind it to help envision it one label that i've heard great things about is techni noisu's label and solatoco um they do great things and you know, it's, think, it's tough. I, the more you grow, like yeah, the more you demos you get, the harder it is to go through everything. Well, I think Technia is also is under Insomniac's uh, umbrella. Is it? Yeah. So he gets, they, there's some help going on there. Yeah. Um, you Insomniac know, is also, great. Insomniac is great. And again, there's a big, they're a bigger label, but you know, truth be told, Insomniac does not have a huge staff running the actual label itself. There's, I believe that. There's, you know, maybe five to 10 people that are on staff that run, that run everything. It's they're, they're doing great because they have the insomniac engine behind them. But in terms of the label itself, it's a small group of people that is doing some really amazing things. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're, you know, but you look at like a label like defected or tool room, they have offices and <laughs> like, yeah. like, they probably got 401ks over there. They do. They, I mean, these people are like, you know, these are, these, they have, uh, they have a staff. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> tool room and defective have also been around for 30 years. Like, you don't stick around for that long and not, not get to a point where you're, you're kind of an, a machine. Mm -hmm. And I think something that's, uh, these days a little bit lost on upcoming, up and coming producers is they think, a label is the only way that they can grow their brand. The fact of the matter is, like I said, one fan at a time, if you got music, put it out there. Oh put yeah, actually it out there. That reminds me of something Jazzy Jeff said. He said he said he wants to die empty. And by that he means there's no need for anybody to hold on to their music. Hmm. This idea that you have to like have this exclusive stuff that you keep to yourself is silly. Let it all out. Yep. He says when he dies, he wants to release everything that he's ever done because he wants to die empty. He I wants love everything that. out there in the world. So I, yeah. I feel that like I, I don't want to sit on things. Let let the people have it, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, let the. I mean, I I produce a lot of my music for other people to play my music too. I mm -hmm. want DJs to play my music. I don't need yeah. to have it be exclusive. No. I mean, 
no and i mean you know what's the point like yeah. everybody's got to hear this shit and you know i don't play out enough for for for, for me to not <laughs> give, give my music to people to play out <laughs> <laughs> i couldn't agree more man it's right? true just put yourself out there people it's all you can do and and yeah. i'm not knocking on labels but like we just said right like everybody's got their own personal lives too i think that's something to understand 100 percent. like most labels a lot of people that run labels have a day job they <laughs> have almost all of them have a day job so if you yeah, don't you don't make back, a lot of money in the label industry people yeah, <laughs> if they don't get back to you for like like three weeks kind of a little break because they yep. they probably got life shit going on and if they listen to your music in the first place that's a that's a win any response is a win people 100 percent. 100 percent, man yeah gosh well a label i'm very glad responded to you your track on prescribed ruin i mean alex you're a fucking dog for this one dude i was trying to catch the acapella like what is, what is the actual sample there is it like a splice or is it like a lyric because i couldn't uh, it was so a, sick it's the humpty dance all right let's see if you guys can catch this sample this one's called ruin by alex amaro off prescribed records <laughs> That's what it was, dude. There was like pause. I was like, "What? No!" But it's a, so good, dude. Like creativity on, on five hundred. Thank you. That's another one of those that was inspired by something else. I got, um, I got an early promo of "On My Mind" um, by oh, Peace and Diplo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. And I like the idea of that repeating small stanza of that song because that's mm-hmm. just like another really, really iconic song, like one of those songs that you you know you've heard that before but you're not sure where yeah and that repeating kind of like chorus going on and i was like what other songs would that work on and mm-hmm. I'm, i should you not i was walking to whole foods one day I'm like <laughs> in whole foods and i started i thought of that song and i was like oh that's one of those ones that would work on so that's another one of those that was like just built around this vocal like i was yeah. like i have this vocal idea what can i do with it um, and apparently I can just throw a bunch of weird sounds on it, a cool bass line, and it turns into a song. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, the bass line, though, so sick. Like, I got to ask you about the sound design on that because you layered it in such a great way where it, like, I mean, it's really tough to do when, when you produce like you produce because you have a lot of things going on, but not too much. Right. But almost, like, how, what's your style for a track like that? I mean, how do you actually go about layering it? Do you mix and master your own tracks, too? Um, I'm no, I mean, I'm, I've never been great at mix downs. I've gotten much, much better, but I feel like I'm my own worst critic. And even if like my my mixing guy just told me, stop, stop having me mix down your stuff. I'm probably still going to have him do it because I, (laughs) I also feel like I need another, another set of ears on it, Yeah. but I put so much work into the actual composition of it. Okay. Um, that by the time I get to the end of that, I'm just like. I'm gassed out. I'm like done. I don't want to hear it anymore for a little bit. I want somebody else to listen to it and 
and put their spin on it. But for that one, um, a lot of the stuff that's going on in the upper register, mm-hmm. and I do this a lot, is a lot of really short clips of samples. Okay. Like I'll find I'll find a rhythmic sample that I like, but instead of taking the whole thing, I'll just chop out like less than a beat of it and mm. then put a bunch of things together and layer them all together. So a lot of those, like, there's a lot of weird sounds going on up, up top. And those are all yeah. different clips, different samples, just like all spliced together to create kind of like a moving melody over the top. Wow. Um, and the baseline is just, you know, is just, a, I mean, I do a lot of sample work. Yeah. It's just like, like a heavily chopped sample with, with, um, you know, with another baseline with a sub layer underneath it you know, real simple stuff, man. Like it's, yeah, you know, but it's, I feel like a lot of what I do was just kind of paying attention to the detail in the rhythm and the rhythmic part Mm -hmm. and, and keeping in mind, like, like, you know, the baseline is always like my main focus, like making sure that baseline is rocking. And then I love fucking with samples and just chopping and screwing samples and adding in extra things that, that don't necessarily seem to fit in house music, but they do. So like, you know, like dubstep samples or trap samples like <laughs> and just like cutting off that little piece that little like little drum roll and throwing that in there yeah and then adding like my biggest my my most favorite thing to do is to find fills to put at the end of at the end of phrases to get it to the next thing dude because like when i said you have a great pace of these tracks like i it, i feel like i'm moving within the actual bars like it's not like kick kick where I'm dancing, like yeah. I found myself really like actually listening to the track. I w- wasn't so passive because you were combining all these high level elements on actual like top, top layer that were really keeping me listening. And then I could feel the bass and I was like, okay, this is a really well thought out composition. So it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, that's, I feel like my, my background in classical kind of comes out there. Sometimes I have to mm-hmm. pull myself back from adding too much Yeah, um, to a song. But because I, I feel like, you know, you can add multiple layers and there's like a certain point. You, I feel like I can take people to a certain point where it's not too much. And I like to take them yeah. just to the edge of that yeah. to where it's like, there's enough happening here to keep people interested, to keep, to keep your ears going and to mm-hmm. have the, you know, to be like, oh, what was that? Oh, what was that? Like, what, <laughs> what, what the hell sound is that happening right now? Like, <laughs> I like seeing that moment on the dance floor. I like seeing people yeah. like, stopping to stopping to dance for just a moment because they heard something interesting happen yes and then starting over again like because something caught them caught them kind of off guard i love i love surprise yep yeah that's awesome you you clearly have fun with it which i think is oh absolutely the best part about what you're doing there's a lot of producers out there and for better or for worse right they're trying to follow the rules and follow the templates which is important in understanding music production and music theory but when it comes down to it, right? Like you got to try and be yourself and that can be hard to do, but you got to, I mean, happy accidents are half of this fucking job, man. You know, hundred percent. That shit happens all the time. I mean, I'm sure like, it's not like you probably went to the studio one day, like I'm going to chop up all these samples exactly like you just mentioned, right? Like you. Yeah, no, a lot of that is, that. no, I came to that. Like a lot of yeah. that stuff is like me endlessly scrolling through things <laughs> and finding <laughs> the thing that works. And then sometimes maybe I chop the wrong part off. And yes, in the wrong place, and I'm like, oh, oh, oh. well, I guess that works. <laughs> <laughs> There's one sound in that song that kind of like in yep. there, yeah, that that was that was not intentionally misplaced, but I mm. love it because when I play the song, I can 
I can break that piece in. I can mm-hmm. chop that piece in. Like I'll I'll do like a crossfade, a quick crossfade back over to that piece, and it yeah. just sounds good with every mix. Wow. Because it's it's just just weird sound that just happens to work on on the offbeat, and I'm like always like like I, I like playing that song because it's like that just that sound in there. I love that. <laughs> I love someone who loves your music. That's that's what I'm talking about, man. It took a long time to get here, man. I didn't always love my music. For but, sure. For yeah, sure. I do now. You clearly do. Um, so I want I want to end with um, production wise, your your tracks on Brooklyn Fire. All right, I want to show you my favorite Alex Amaro Brooklyn Fire track. This one's called Digits. Tommy Sunshine, who's of course one of the OGs in the game, um, and what he's done with that label is so cool. The platform he's given producers to really just not stay inside this box, right? I think the perception of some labels is we have this sound, but really, from when I talk to people, you know, ARs that repopulate Mars and Hood Politics and um, you know Hexagon, right? They want to know what's what's next, so they're willing to listen, right? And Brooklyn Fire has done a great job of that, in my opinion, right? Like not staying within this, this box. And you're in Soul EP. I mean, they're stellar tracks and they follow no rules. And in Soul, dude, <laughs> that, what, what genre is that? I don't fucking know. It's every genre in one. And I was like, fuck yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, what I love about Brooklyn Fire and I love about Tommy is that is just what you mentioned. Like, yeah, he wants what's next. He doesn't want to release garden variety music. Yeah. And he really doesn't care where it lies genre wise mm-hmm. because he just likes, he just like, I just want to release music that I like and music that I would play regardless of what genre it is. And absolutely. He just keeps doing that. And to Brooklyn fire had always been one of my targets had always been like a label that I wanted to release on. Yeah. Um, and it just so happened that a good friend of mine, one of the A&Rs there on deck. Um, he, yeah. He's a man. Yeah. He, he, I mean, I've me and him had like a relate. He was a break DJ and producer back in the day too. Mm-hmm. So me and him have always been friends. We were, we'd always awesome. share tracks and I sent him small industry people. Remember that exactly. we mentioned it. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I sent him, I sent him on, I sent him in soul, like through a text message. I was like, Oh, check this out. He was like, yeah, I want to sign that. <laughs> I was like, are you serious? Like, yeah, I want that one. Um, and I don't even know where that track came from. There's just a lot. There's, there's a lot of like influences happening that there's like some hip hop, hip hop stuff happening. And there's like, like fidget house and some fusion. Some, yeah. Some tech house going on. It was just one of those things where I was just like kind of throwing everything into a blender there um and yeah. experimenting there's a lot of happy accidents in that song yeah yeah definitely. there's a lot of happy accidents in that song. i felt but... some electro like you had i feel like you had 
it was sort of like an electro energy, but with like trap percussion, but yeah. also with like bass house kick. I mean, dude, it was so sick. Like, you don't know what the fuck's gonna happen in that song. <laughs> that's what it, it, that's another thing where it's like element of surprise. Like, yes, yes. Then, like, there's that disc kind of disco string thing that happens mm-hmm. in the breakdown. Yes. Like, yeah, I just go <laughs> to why not? I, and that was actually the second, the second or third version of that song. Um, uh-huh. I tried it three different ways and sent it to a friend. And he was like, "No, no, it's this one. This is the one I need to stick with. That's the one with all the. That's the heater." Um, yeah. And I went back and listened to the other two versions of that song recently. I'm like, "Oh yeah, those are never seen the light of day because they're garbage." <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing, man. It's amazing. You're 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 a special producer. Do you have any music you can tell us about that's going to be coming out? I know you got a lot you're working on for 2022. I have a bunch coming out on Brooklyn Fire. Um, okay. I have, I have a, I did a remix of, uh, I did a remix for On Deck, and then I have a remix for for Bitch Be Cool, which is On mm-hmm. Deck and Domi. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have another, I have like two or three originals coming out with Brooklyn Fire. Um, and then Sick. there's a smaller label that I'm that I'm part of an artist collective called Gold Block here in San Francisco. Okay. And Gold Block is starting a record label um our first release is gonna be next year so i have a i have a release with them okay i have a bunch of music that i've that i haven't found a home for yet like there's there's like you know maybe like four or five tracks that that i've just you know haven't figured out where they where they should go yet so we'll see what happens with those but i do have like almost a year's worth of releases planned out for next year but you know i'm always down to like release more because like i said i want to die empty i got yeah I got, I have a lot of music in me and I'm working on some, some, for the first time working on a lot of collaborations too, um, right now with some cool people. So mm-hmm. hopefully those will be coming out, you know, in the next year as well. That's exciting, man. Yeah. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. A lot, a lot to look forward to. A lot to look forward to. I'm really excited about the next year of music. Um, I feel like, you know, since I started the project in 2020, um, 2021 was kind of light but mm-hmm. also like a good builder year, like to yeah. kind of figure out like where I wanted to take things. And I produced mm-hmm. a lot of music. Yeah. So 2022 is going to be like another year where there's just going to be like firing in all cylinders. Yeah. And I think there's a real openness too, just to kind of like bring it full circle with where like the North American market is right now. Like people are really we- willing to hear new music and, 100%. and out- outside the box music. And I think that's why we're seeing so many of these sub sub genres have success too that have been there right like I mentioned like minimal tech and and really whatever genre some of your tracks are right like a little bit of everything people are like I want to hear new stuff and I think we can both agree these days what we have access to in regards to plugins and collaboration opportunities and how we go about producing and really just the resources in general music just keeps getting better and better and it keeps sounding cooler and cooler well, I mean, that's where you get producers like Blue Claire, who is yes, just like another great one of these example. people where I don't know where to classify his music at all. I just know <laughs> that it's, I just know that it's like Blue Claire and Kyle Watson in terms of like most exciting producers Dude. of the last like five or six years, they're right at the top of my list because you cannot put those guys into a box. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what genre they're producing, but I like it. So true. So and that's true. all because of like, you know, because they've everybody's has like there's a limitless potential in what you can do now with software just limitless yeah true and i think it's almost like i didn't even realize that 
you know, you could use Zoom to do interviews and Facebook Live and things like that, right? Like you see right. collaborators that are meeting with each other that are in Russia and Los Angeles and Chicago and South America, right? And it's easier because we've all gotten used to it. So I'm seeing Brazilian bass producers collaborate with a, uh, you know, more of an electro house Canadian guy. And it's just like, it's such a cool time in electronic music right now and it's just i'm just so excited like every day i wake up every friday i'm like gosh how this is insane the new music that's coming out and it's just relentless and i love it it's crazy it's crazy like it's it's a really exciting time to be to be in the dance music scene mm -hmm. and you know i'm we're blessed to be a part of it and just like it's just really yeah. excited to see all these new people come out like a lot of left field stuff just coming out and mm -hmm. House and techno right now is just slaying, like slaying. Ever, across across every subgenre of those. Like it's just slaying. It's, it's ridiculous. Like yeah, I hear I hear something every day where I'm just like, I don't even know how you did this, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm really upset that I didn't think of it. But like, yeah, <laughs> you know, even some of the simplest ideas, I'm like, fuck, that's a good idea. Why didn't I think of that? Yeah, I know. <laughs> But hey, at least that at least you and I have the ability to and and have the opportunity to interview people who are willing to talk about that. Hundred percent. I think that's like again, like we we're talking before. That's like one of the best parts of what I do mm -hmm. is getting to sit down and talk to to producers and yeah. DJs about what they do and about how they figured out that they could do what they do or how they got there. Because yeah. you know, a lot of it, you know, sometimes the journey is way more is just as interesting as their music. Like yeah. Like some of these stories are just absolutely incredible. And I, it's like, a, it's such an, an honor to have people like share some of that with me. Like it's, yeah. it's really, it's really, really great. Like I, this is the best part of my job is getting to sit down and interview people. I know. I love it so much. Cause yeah. I, in the beginning, I thought the only way to get to know people in the industry was to go up and give them a shot as they're DJing and then hope for a conversation later or something like that. And it doesn't have to be like that. In fact, no, a lot I of times we want to connect outside of the club. No, I've made way more connections outside outside the club than I have inside the club. That whole yes. the whole idea of networking, come on, dude, you're just going there to get drunk. Yeah. Okay. Let's, <laughs> Thank and if you're not, you. You're you're just going out to party, and even if you're not getting drunk, you're really just going out to party. Like you don't. Yeah. That's here. We we're talking earlier about tips for producers and DJs. Yeah. Don't think that you have to go to every show. Yep. You don't. You do not have to go to every show to be successful. You will nope. make way more connections over the internet than you will anywhere else. I have way more internet friends that I'm hoping to make in real life friends in the future yep. than, than I ever made at the club. Like I have lots of, I met lots of people at the club. Did I have a lot of interesting conversations there? Sure. Maybe, right. maybe not. Sure. No, I did. but like, <laughs> did they all, did they all produce something tangibly like beneficial for all parties involved? Mm -hmm. No. And maybe that's not the point, but you don't have to be there every weekend. It's not necessary. And you know, Sometimes maybe you should just save it. Like Jaws did not did not take a booking until he felt like his music was ready to be played out. He didn't really? go to he didn't he a lot of a lot of people they won't go to festivals until they get booked there. And I feel like that's kind of a cool a cool process to take it. Like hey, I'm gonna sit inside and work on my craft, yeah, and perfect that before I spend every weekend out. Because every weekend you spend out is just another four or five hours you could spend making beats man or Dude. looking up people on the internet and doing ridiculous research on them 
for hours and trying to figure out what questions to ask them, whatever it is that you're passionate about in the arts, Amen. you know, spend lots of time making art. Great pieces of advice, Alex. Yeah. I feel I could literally probably talk to you all night. I'm going to be honest with you. I <laughs> thought of 10 more questions, but we're coming up here on the, on the timeline for the night. This has been such a pleasure connecting with you, man. And absolutely. My, me too. Thank you. Honestly, like I'm inspired by, your, your journey. I know you've mentioned you're inspired by other people's journeys, but like, I'm still young in the game, man. And, and to see you so passionate all these years later, still, and just as passionate, if not more passionate than like your more first passionate. rate, more passionate, more passionate. Yeah. absolutely. I love that. I, I really, I really do like, like genuinely that's, that's awesome. And I hope, I hope your, um, your story inspires others on any level, DJs, producers, writers, there's a lot that you can do in this industry. And that is the double-sided coin of it. It's small, and that's what makes it fun. We, we, we like to go to the clubs with people we know once you yes, know them. 100%. Why do you think the club's fun with your best friends? Because you already oh, know them. Well, I mean, I always tell people, like, I, don't go, I, don't, I go, don't go out unless I'm DJing or one of my friends is in town. Yes. There's a special <laughs> event going on because, yeah. like, if one of my friends is in town, like, from out of town and they're coming to play, I'm like, yes. Right? I know it's going to be a really fun night. We're going to go out to dinner. It's going to be – that's going to be a whole night. That brings me back to when I first started going to parties. Like, yep. When it was like special every time you went out and yep. sometimes you just got to save the good ones for that. Amen. Yeah. So true. Take notes, people take notes. <laughs> Alex, such a pleasure, man. I really do mean that you enjoy your night and Thank uh, you, you too. I can't wait to be real life friends. We're currently internet friends, but let's take it to the next level as soon as we can. Okay. Absolutely. Anytime you're in San Francisco, let me know. And next time I'm in Chicago, we'll definitely be hanging out. And Dude, for sure, you could, you could show me a better place to get, uh, then Portillo's to get a, a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. Don't you worry about a thing, my man. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right, Alex, have a good one, man. Thank you so much for making the time, brother. I really appreciate it. Thank you, too. Thank you so much.